Good evening and welcome to Squirm Night, an election season tradition here in Aspen. It's a collaboration between the Aspen Times, the Aspen Daily News, Aspen Public Radio, and Grassroots TV. I'm Curtis Wackerly, editor of the Aspen Daily News. And I'm Allison Bektesh with Aspen Public Radio. Also, thank you to the Thrift Shop of Aspen and the City of Aspen for letting us use this space tonight. So the candidates have all done profiles with every single one of the media involved tonight where you can get to know them and their positions on the issues. That's not where we're going tonight. We have solicited questions from the public, from the candidates themselves, and from area journalists, and we're going to be throwing those hard-hitting questions at the candidates. And uh, so the format is we will be asking questions directly to you, the candidates, and thank you all for coming. Thanks for having uh, us. Uh, no rebuttals uh, except at the moderator's discretion when we feel it's absolutely necessary. You will have uh, some time at the end to make closing statements and address anything you feel that needs to be addressed. I like to start anything I moderate with fun games. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Quickly, I will, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the candidates go uh, down the line here. Skippy Mesereau, Rachel Richards, Linda Manning, and Bert Myron are all here, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yay! Thank you guys for coming. The game is so quick. We're going to do two rounds of trivia. I have lots of fun culture and policy trivia um, from around Aspen. I'm going to pick one. We're going to go down the line. Skippy, Rachel, Linda, Bert. Skippy, Rachel, Linda, Bert. Answer the trivia question. You ready? Skippy, how many council meetings are there a year? Um, generally, there are two per week, except for when there's math, holidays, huh? et cetera. Uh, let's say 20, including work sessions. 80 meetings a year. Wow. What is the approx Rachel, what is the approximate maximum total volume in acre feet that po the possible Woody Creek Reservoir can hold? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put that one in there. Easy. Uh, I think they're looking around 70,000 acre feet. Oh, excuse me, uh, 35,000 acre feet. 8,000. 8,000. Like the jelly answer. beans, you know? That won't Stuff. last very Linda, long. this is just for fun. <laughs> Should I let the audience answer if they know? <laughs> Linda, how many trips across the Castle Creek Bridge do we consider to be our maximum threshold? This is based on the 1993 count. A threshold per year? No, per day. Oh. 2,500. 25,000. Oh, yes. close. Yes. Zero. <laughs> uh, is that one too easy for <laughs> What is the most a single person household can earn to qualify to be an APSHA's category two? Category two, I, I'm guessing, uh, $40,000. $64,000. That's not my question. This is so much fun. <laughs> We're doing well, guys. We're doing well. Yeah, nice start. Gibby, do you know how many people downstream from us depend on our snowpack for their water? Oh, God, it's got to be in the tens of millions. 40 million people. Rachel. In the 2018 Aspen Citizen Survey, what percent of respondents said the quality of life in Aspen is either good or excellent? I think that's about 85%. 93. Nice. This one's fun. Linda, how much does Aspen Public House pay the city for rent each month? Oh, gosh. Uh, 8,000 plus 8% 8 gross sales. That might be correct because it's 15,700. So I don't know if that's the same. Uh, and finally, Bert, what city department has the most full-time staff? Parks department. Parks and Rec, 50 people. Thank you for playing along. Yay! Thank you. We're done. Well, that was fun. Different so questions for the mayoral candidates, so you didn't cheat just now. 
Uh, so now we're going to start with the more direct questions to each candidate, and we'll give you uh, a minute or two to answer these. Uh, and please keep your answers as concise as possible. Uh, Skippy, let's start with you. Uh, let's talk about Lift One. Sure. Uh, you have written in your uh, in your responses to our questionnaires that you were going to get to yes on this proposal, right. and that's despite it uh, having much less affordable housing than the standard 65% mitigation rate. However, affordable housing is pretty much the uh, central plank of your campaign platform and how we need to rebuild Aspen's affordable housing program. Uh, so isn't this kind of the same leadership that you're decrying on the current council, not really uh, sticking strong to your beliefs? No, I don't think it is. Um, I think that as a candidate, you have a different responsibility than you do as an elected official. And so I both have a responsibility to explain how I'm going to vote and encourage all of you guys to vote yes as well. And that's based on a trade-off, right? If we vote no on this project, then there is an alternative outcome. That alternative outcome means that the Brown Brothers build their previous version of Lift One Lodge, which has very little time left on its entitlement, so the shovels go in the ground right away. That forever precludes the lift coming down, or at least until that project is you know, scraped in 70 years. You're, it you're precludes surmising the, that this is how that would go, right? Uh, no, I, I mean, in, unless they decide that they're gonna throw away their $10 million and do nothing. So I think it's a 99% sure bet, and I've, I've heard the same. Uh, you throw away the Delensic property, which I think is one of the most exciting event areas, uh, community spaces. I, I'm sorry, how do you throw away the Delensic property? Uh, I don't think if that lift gets built there, you no longer have that ski right of way, you no longer have the list, the lift coming down, that you are gonna have that. So. The, the, you end up a with a, I'm sorry, Curtis, let me answer the question. You owner. end up with a worse outcome on that for the community. And then Gorsuch, we can't say what happens, but historical precedents suggest that we probably get a few empty 50-week-a-year 50 50 single-family homes. I think that's a worse outcome. So that's why I vote yes. Now, as a candidate versus a elected official, I also have the responsibility to explain what I would have done differently. Because I'm not just educating you about what I would do on this project, but how I think about things going forward. And I think any project where we give away affordable housing is one where we're not investing in our future, where we're giving away public funds to fund very expensive hotel rooms is not investing in the diversity of the bed base that I would like to see. Uh, and as I've talked about, the entrance on, on Dean Street versus Aspen precludes better use of that community space uh, and pedestrian traffic. So I, I think I have a responsibility to do both, which is why I So, so it's, oh, the ski lift makes it okay? All the, all, the th all the reasons why you don't like the project, it's worth no. the trade-off for the ski lift? No, Curtis. As I've just said, there's a all, all decisions are choice, and I think choice one outweighs choice two. Amongst those reasons is the ski lift, right? But it's not the only reason, and I've just laid out four for you. We're going to move on. Rachel, yes. are you a career politician that's typically said in a negative way? Yeah, I, I'm so glad you asked that question and gave me a chance to answer. I am very proud of the community support I've had in the past and the ability to represent community values going forward. I want to make it clear that my entire time on council before, I worked a full 40-hour week with Aspen Activity Center as their advertising distribution manager for Don and Jill Sheely. Uh, so those were 60, 70-hour weeks for me throughout that time. Uh, 
the community has invested a lot in me. I have uh, been able to work to fight to save the Thompson Divide from fracking by meeting Neil Cornsey with the BLM and meeting in the offices in D.C. in BLM on those sort of matters. We've been able to stand up for a lot of things, and I think I have tried to represent the community values in that time. So I have stood for election with folks deciding whether they would like to return me to be able to fight for those values or not, and that's what I'm doing again this time. I tend to think of it as civil service. I think of it as civic leadership. And, um, you know, I look at the town right now, my home, and I see a certain amount of turmoil and disarray. I see values that we've had for a long time about who belongs here and how much housing we need and should you be kicked out upon retirement? Uh, should all the program be turned into rentals? Things like that. And those concern me. I'm concerned about today. I'm concerned about 20 years from now. I'm concerned about our future. I think we need stability and a bit of experience when it comes to the hiring and training of the new manager. So thank you. I'm curious, since you brought it up, is, is this the situation where you would need to go find another job as well if elected council? Uh, absolutely. Both for hours and income. <laughs> what, what do you think you would do? Uh, I think there's a lot of jobs out there right now, so it'd be a little bit of a pick. I've been holding off to see what would really work with the flexibility needed for the city council hours. Uh, Linda, you have uh, spoken about being uh, wanting to make it easier for Aspen businesses, being pro-business. What does that exactly mean, and what would you specifically do from a policy standpoint to make it easier for Aspen businesses? Yeah. A lot of what I see in my current job as city clerk are uh, business owners who are trying to start out in our community to get a business. And whether it's from getting a business license, a liquor license, a building permit, we put a lot of um, obstacles in their way from um, the city. And whether it's timing from getting a building permit, they come in to my office and they want to know why is it taking so long and you know if it is me having to walk them up to the third floor because they can't get an appointment and I because I work in this building can cross the magic yellow line on the floor and I can walk back to Dennis's desk or Mike's desk and we can check and see what the status is and what's going on you know if it's as easy as having a liaison in the building department who you know anybody in the you know, a homeowner, a business owner can go in and say to this one person, what's going on? Who do I need to talk to? If they're a restaurant owner and then they're, the holdup is, oh, you don't have your business license because you need that first before you can get your food service license, before you can get your liquor license. I mean, a lot of people who are starting out don't know that you need, you know, ABC before you can get your certificate of occupancy. So, I mean, even little things like that. But we do need to work on some sort of a express lane and some timing if someone misses a Christmas season and a New Year's season and X games that can wipe them out for the whole year if you have a restaurant in Aspen you know you can lose your profit for a whole season if you miss you know those three weeks in Aspen because you haven't gotten your building permit in time and someone can say well maybe you just should have filed earlier well I mean that 
yes, but, you know, Amos is over there laughing. But, you know, if, if it comes down to saying, hey, we have an express lane, you pay $5,000 and you get to go into the express lane, I'm sure there are a lot of people who would so, take that option. So your option. idea is to charge more for well, faster no, service? But, you know, if that's what it comes down to, you know, charge more for faster service, pay to play. But, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who would take that option. But if we can do things like that, we change the sign code last year that new businesses cannot get a sandwich board sign. You know, we have businesses in basements and second floors that are opening now that you wouldn't know that they're there because they can't have a sandwich board sign. Did that go through or is that on hold? No, that, that went through um, as of January. No one could apply for a new sandwich board sign. So, you know, little things like that where, you know, if we could give these businesses signs back, you know, uh, we're not over proliferating the malls and the streets with sandwich board signs. You know, there were um, things with, well, we can't regulate the content, no, but if little things like a business having a sign just to know that they're there, small things like that, you know, we, we don't need to do huge land use code rewrites, we've already done that, but small things like that to get businesses just, just a little bit of an edge. All right, thank you. Thanks, Linda. Bird, we solicited questions from the public, as we said, and um, got several versions of this question targeted toward you. This is one phrasing of it. You regularly brag about being the one man out, getting kicked off of P&Z, and trying to stoke conflict between a stated community versus resort. With this divide, write-off approach, the odd man out, how do you expect to be successful in solving the community's problems? Well, I'll give you a list of the uh, things I've accomplished as uh, being that sort of rock and, and uh, grounding space for council. Uh, one was the uh, moratorium. When it came time for the moratorium, the, which no council prior to me could accomplish, uh, I was the only new candidate on council four years ago, and something got done, a moratorium that was never done before. Uh, that was in part uh, because I added to, uh, the, they knew that I, my voice was there. They knew you would vote for a moratorium. They knew I would vote for it. So uh, it's a lot easier to count the votes when you know where someone is on council and you're not trying to figure out whether they can get to yes or whether they can get to no. People have a pretty good idea where I stand because they know my principles. And if they filter that questions through the uh, principles I use, they'll come out with the same answer that I come out with, which is usually in favor of the community. I suppose another way to ask this question is, are you more effective as a citizen in this no, you know, organization kind of role than the one person who's against the votes on, that council puts forward? There are some things that I couldn't get uh, council to agree 100% on. One of them was increasing, uh, reducing the uh, discount for uh, previously built space when uh, a building's torn down. So you tear down the uh, Wiener's tube and you want to build something new, you get a credit for that space. And I couldn't get council to phase that out immediately as 100%, so I asked for a phase out. We got a as much as I could from council, I think it was 15% initially, and then a 15-year schedule or whatever it was uh, per year to phase that uh, discount out. So something that, no, again, no one had accomplished. A lot of people talk about um, just throwing up their hands and say it's a problem, but no one addressed it. And so I was able to get something done um, overcoming the, the rest of council in that case. Thanks, Bert. We have a general question that all of you get to answer. Now, what do you see as our traffic and transportation problems? What are your solutions? And do you support a new highway bridge entrance to Aspen? Um, Linda, let's start with you, then go Rachel, Skippy, and Bert. Sure. 
We do have a congestion issue in Aspen. You know, a, a lot of it has to do with the volume of cars that are coming in. We have a fantastic bus system. You know, I'm a huge advocate of our Rafta bus system. I ride it every single day um, when I'm not walking into work. I don't know that a new bridge is going to solve our issues. You know, I was talking with people today about a straight shot through the mural property. Um, we've voted on this numerous times. Uh, and I think every time we vote on, you know, what do you do with the S curves, you eliminate the F curves, you put a straight shot through, it's a, a different outcome. But we do um, need to do something different. You know, when we redid the Castle Creek Bridge this summer, we had uh, alternative routes leaving Aspen. One of them was through the West End and down Power Plant Road. And, you know, that worked for a time. It did? You know, uh, well, I mean, according to the city, you know, we had, you know, the backups were not horrible, but, you know, I think that we need to use all of the alternative routes out of town that we possibly can. You know, right now, I don't think closing off the West End is an appropriate thing to do. We should use every possible means of egress that we can. Why are we closing off a viable entrance and exit to Aspen? You know, we are encouraging people to ride the bus. If people can get out of town using Power Plant Road and get into town that way, why not use it? You know, we have Hopkins Avenue as our pedestrian access. You know, why do we now have the West End and Power Plant Road closed off? If we are trying to get people in and out of town as efficiently as possible, we should encourage that as another alternate route through town. Until we try these things, we don't know if they're going to work. I see you smiling. <laughs> I didn't know that the West End and Power Plant Road were closed. Well, off. it's not encouraged. You know, we don't encourage people to exit town at three in the afternoon through the West End down Power Plant Road. I mean, it's not the encouraged route home. We want people to go state. down Main Street and across the bridge. But I mean, we should try alternate solutions. OK, thank you. Uh, thanks for the question. I don't believe we should turn residential neighborhoods into uh, frontage roads for a state highway. Uh, people going down that road go right by the Yellow Brick Child Care Center. You know, and, and that, that's not appropriate to me on Bleecker, you know, unless you tell them to go halfway down and then turn in. So I, I just, I, I can't follow that. Um, I see a priority of continuing to keep the town walkable, and I think that when we have these sort of larger snowstorms, we probably need to add a little personnel who can actually clear the sidewalk crossings. The plows do a great job, but they make little barriers for people who are actually walking uh, at the corner, so I see a little problem there. I'm very hopeful that the Regional Transportation Authority, uh, with the new resources our community and the Valley's communities gave them, will have some effect, especially the integration of WeCycle throughout the Valley. Um, I was mayor when we formed the Regional Transportation Authority, and I'm happy to see that grow. I actually led the campaign to create the, the bus lanes coming into town for the open space vote that we needed. I think that was around 2006, 2007. But the roundabout and our entrance 
uh, will not work. It's only partially designed. Uh, it, it was built, excuse me, it's fully designed. It's only partially built. Uh, and the only approval to go across the Merol property is for a dedicated light rail and two realigned traffic lanes. That has gotten voter approval. Uh, anything else would require a new EIS, any of these split shot, two coming in, two coming out. And, and those actually use up a lot more open space uh, than the current record of decision. Um, I think we're facing a situation of unlimited demands, limited resources, hard choices. And I don't think anyone here at this table is running on a transportation or entrance to Aspen uh, sort of platform, but it's, the problem's not gonna go away. We are going to need to have a really thorough community discussion and start talking beyond where are we this six months or how bad is the crisis this July and start talking about where do we wanna be in 2030? Where do we wanna be beyond there and what are we willing to do? I personally think a long-term, complete, successful solution would be light rail. Uh, and I think you can get it out to that Brush Creek intercept lot. I'd like to see an awful lot more use of that intercept lot. But the buses that currently are the BRT that work throughout the valley, they can accomplish twice as many trips if they could just interline at the intercept lot and, and turn people off there to do a mode shift into a rapid system coming into town. Rachel, I think you're saying it in here, but can you identify is there a transportation problem and what is it? Okay, yes, there's a transportation problem. Thank you uh, for um, uh, correcting me there. Uh, it's everything. It, it's our guests, it's ourselves, uh, it, it's just passer-throughs, it's construction. It, it's, we have a very small 10-pound bag and we're getting up to about 18 pounds in it. And uh, we need to work with our guests to actually uh, use transit more and, and feel like that's the in thing to do when you're in Aspen. I disagree with having valet parking across mm. from the gondola and bringing cars all the way through the core of town, the busiest part of town, just to pay $40 on the weekend to drive their car back to the parking garage. I don't see that. And I think it really sends a negative message to all of our locals about who the downtown is for. Um, we have incentives and disincentives. Parking price is the big disincentive. How far can we go with that before we have to come up with something better that really will get people onto transit? All right, thank you. We have many good questions, so we might be cutting you off um, past <laughs> okay. too many answers here. Bert, we'll go to you. Is that, sorry, what we said? Skippy was next. Then, sorry, Skippy, we'll go to anyway, you. Anyway, uh, so, I mean, yes, we have a transportation problem. Um, Rachel said something interesting. What is it? I mean, we have a traffic problem, right? Traffic we have a congestion problem. problem. Congestion, sure. thank you. Of course we do, right? But Rachel said something interesting. We should start thinking about 2030. In my view, 2050. My understanding is this is when we start talking about what we actually do about that stuff. So, look, I, I will level with you guys. I think one of the failures of leadership of this council is trying to do everything. When you do everything, you do nothing. So if you want someone who is going to take this on as their number one priority, it will not be me. However, my advice to fellow council members, if they're up there, is you know, I think in many ways, this problem is somewhat simpler than we make it out to be. Our initial goal was to house 60% of our workforce in town. We've let that lapse. We're now at 38-ish percent, percent and dropping. Well, if you get serious about housing people in town, you make a big impact on that traffic problem. I will be the candidate that focuses very much so, and more so than anyone else, with work and not just talk on housing. 
I also have a, a company. We do uh, vacation rental property management. So I'm on the road to Snowmass a lot. I know some people need their cars. That's fine. But management, construction, et cetera, is a very big percentage of that overall bid. One of the other things this council has failed on is reaching out proactively to industries that either impact or are impacted by the things we're trying to solve. So I would suggest that we reach out to people in industries such as mine to figure out what we can do to alleviate some of that vehicular traffic. Will that solve the problem? Maybe, maybe not, but it would certainly get a long way to get us there. Um, yeah. What about the bridge, new highway entrance? What about it? Do you, <laughs> what do you think about that as a, as a long-term concept for the future of our transportation network? Can you be specific? Because there's been several things that have been floated. Well, do you think we need a new alignment, new highway, new bridge, new entrance to town? It wouldn't be my priority. Bert. Uh, it's no surprise I was one of my first elections I started volunteering on in Aspen was the entrance election um, years ago. Not necessarily because I like to go around turns and S curves are sexier and all the things that went along with that, that campaign. But <laughs> the, the reason <laughs> I did it at that time was because we weren't having a carrying, carrying capacity conversation. It's what Rachel just raised. Uh, 18 pounds and a 10 pound bag and it's what skippy raised is where uh where are people housed the, the current lift one plan for example has uh twice as many ftes required if uh we if the voters vote no the uh, responsibility for the developers 91 ftes uh under the current proposal uh, that that PNZ supported and the majority of council supported, it reduces that FT count down to 46. So we're cutting our housing in half um, in a proposal, and I think that town need, the community needs to decide how much, what's our carrying capacity, how much construction can we handle, how much more demand can we handle, and uh, before we, we wreck the uh, golden goose instead of the golden egg. Thank you. And the question I've, you asked was, do you support a new bridge? The answer is no. And do we have a problem? And the answer is it, it's balance. If we don't have some traffic, no one's going to ride the bus. So we need some traffic to get people to out of the traffic. Let's get back to some specifics. Back to you, Skippy. Is this format too stale and impersonal for you? <laughs> I thought you might answer that, ask that question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna qualify that a little bit. <laughs> so because for those of you guys, you sent an email to everybody in town saying that uh, forums like these are too stale and impersonal, yeah. and you took it upon yourself to create your own forum, and you blindsided half the candidates, and you announced the moderator as your supporter. Yeah. Um, do you regret that? I don't and, regret it. And I want to just add to that, how, what, what would you see your relationship with media being? Shouldn't sure. you be answering two journalists? Sure. So one, I mean, I expected that question. Thank you for asking it. Um, look, guys, does anyone remember Shift? Do we remember the power plant? Do we remember City Hall? Do we remember the bike lane? Our public process is broken. Right? Like that should be clear to everybody, no matter where you fall on any side of that. And part of that, Curtis, is yes, things are stale and impersonal. Does that mean that this forum is without value? Hell no. 
Look, me being up here right now being nervous is a great thing, right? Because it shows this audience how we perform under pressure, which we will be at this council table. And if, if you and Carolyn and the rest of you guys took that as a personal insult, I, I truly apologize. That was not the intent. But I do believe it's incomplete. I personally, as a voter, want to know, where do my candidates come from? How do they think about things? What are their governing philosophies? Because asking someone simply to answer the question about FTEs on 1A gives you one piece of information about 1A. It doesn't give you information about all the other things they're going to vote on in the next four or more years that will matter to you. And so, look, I have a track record here. I might be the youngest person by a decade or more. Uh, but I also have six to seven years of chairing boards and commissions, passing ballot initiatives, and actually putting the rubber down on the road to get things done. So when I see a problem, ergo, the public process is broken, communication's broken, not enough people are watching, my reaction is, let's do something about it. And it's the same approach that I will take on council. And for those candidates that were not immediately part of this process, to them I apologize and would say, you could have declared earlier. We have a timeline, right? And we could, and in the next two weeks following that first event, what did we do? We reached out to those candidates and said, hey, you take the reins on this. Tell us what you learned. Help us improve this thing because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the public and it's about the process. And you know what we heard from most of those candidates? Just about nothing different. When we recognize a problem, question. it's important to do something and not just talk about it. Talking about it is lack of leadership. So Doing something is leadership I'm stop and it's you often here. imperfect, I'm stop you but here. at least we get something done. And I have another Allison. question for you. It's funny that you wouldn't let me ask it. One of the things that you did in setting this up was that you wanted this deep, longer time. Yes. So let's get to know you. Yeah. City council meetings have in the past gone for so many hours at the SIP that people couldn't be involved. Do you have the ability to succinctly say your message and get it across, or do you always need to have these longer drawn out forums? Like how, how will you get your message across I think it's, during I think a meeting? I think it's both, right? I mean, anyone who spends time with people or does messaging recognizes that there are opportunities where you need to be very succinct. You got a Facebook ad you're running during this election, it better be 10 seconds or y'all are moving on. Um, but there are other times when you tune into your podcast and listen to someone for three hours. So um, I think it takes awareness of your environment and the ability to adapt where necessary. And, and yes, I do think I can be succinct. <laughs> said that really quickly, right? <laughs> Uh, Rachel, one thing I love about Aspen and Aspenites is how um, involved they are and how much they like to talk about what might come next. One thing I've heard about you is that you would be a great candidate for the city manager position, which is now open. Is that a job you'll be applying for? No. Why not? <laughs> uh, I enjoy the realm of policymaking and legislation. Um, I would depend on a manager to be an executor of those things. I like to work with uh, the board, and I would say whoever is elected, be it the mayor's race or the other council seats, I will work to make them the best 
that they can be in that position. I really believe in working across the aisles and solving difficult challenges. It's why I've worked with groups like Colorado Counties, Inc., uh, groups like Club 20 and others. But no, I, I would not see myself in that managerial role. I will say I was very fortunate uh, to be on the Board of County Commissioners as chair. We rotate the chairmanship the year that we hired John Peacock. And to work with him during that first year of getting his feet wet and getting to know the community and what our expectations were was really beneficial. And again, a big part of the reason why I've wanted to run for council in my hometown here. Um, a lot of people have suggested state office, mm -hmm. and a lot of people have suggested the mayor's seat. And I've said very clearly, uh, if I ran for the mayor's seat, people would think, oh, that's a power grab. And if I uh, was in the mayor's position, I know what it takes, and that's a full-time job. And I really could not live on the mayor's salary without another job that I match with it. And um, I want to be a part of a team. I think you bring out the best you can in each other. And you, you work through differences. And there will be differences. But if you're respectful and you're listening and you're thoughtful, you usually can find a lot of common ground and a way to get things done. So it's the managerial and the execution elements of the city manager job that aren't as interesting or you don't think you would excel as much at? Uh, Anyone who's applying for that job should have some pretty advanced degrees and be very well versed in Colorado law so that they don't end up with a tax situation like Basalt has or something like that. I think there's a lot more the at least uh, <laughs> training that uh, goes, uh, goes into uh, a managerial position of um, as many departments and a budget as large as the cities. But Thanks, thank Rachel. You. Thanks for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, when you announced your candidacy, um, you said that in your role as, as city, man, um, city clerk, you were growing tired of having to sit quietly through council meetings where you did not uh, necessarily agree with what was going on. Um, if you lose this race, how do you go back to that? And do you intend to remain the city clerk if you are not elected? Uh, I do tend to remain the city clerk if I'm not elected, yes. Um, I hope that... Uh, I will be elected, but if I'm not, um, I, I plan to continue to do my job, but I hope I have a bigger voice inside City Hall and that people will listen to me and take my opinion um, to heart, you know, and that I, I will be comfortable expressing it. You know, I talk to the city attorney all the time. I'm in his office constantly, and we talk about what happens during these meetings. But, you know, when I'm at this table, I sit in that chair over there, and I can't talk during these meetings, but that doesn't mean that I can't express myself to staff and to city management. But, you know, up until this point, you know, what happens in this room, it just involves the five council members. But, uh, you know, if, if for whatever reason it happens that I don't win this election, I, I do plan on remaining the city clerk. So you're you're saying you were manager position <laughs> you, You're saying you were vocalizing some of your thoughts and opinions to staff and to city management and it wasn't going anywhere or you didn't feel why would that be different from what you were just doing yeah well it's there's a difference expressing things to staff and getting that message through and expressing it to council <laughs> so we will have some new council members as well got one for Bert. Bert, I have, uh, I'm curious what you think about the timing of the new election. Uh, of course, we 
are all here a couple weeks after the last election, it feels like, um, because we've moved the date up higher. It was a push asking to have an election when more people are in town. And the general response from you was why would we kind of why would we do that and that there's more ski co employees there's more temporary em employees in town and you didn't really want them part of that election I'd, I'd love for you to address that and, and who should be choosing city council members so snowmass elects their town council in november and twice they had a special election in february for the base village construction project uh, and the outcome of that i believe would have been different had the election been held in November for well, versus held in uh, in season and I think that's the, the future of the town depends on um, somewhat when the election is held whether it's a held with a bunch of locals and, and the community in town or whether it's held with uh, the resort basically running so, the election. so if the outcomes especially if the outcomes are different then it seems like we should be really careful as to where where we place that election why not place it when we have most of the residents in town I said nothing about the residents changing. The residents don't actually change. It's the it's the resort part. That What's changes. the problem with someone who moves here, say in November, and has lived here for a couple months and decides they want to register to vote, participating in an election? There's nothing wrong with that. The results of the election come out differently, and the results of the election came out in Snowmass twice in favor of something that ended up a billion dollar project collapsing I mean, and I'm not interested in our town duplicating Snowmass's failure that's all so how long does should someone have lived here before they're it's not a duration it's a time of year I guess what's what's at stake now that our our elections are right now in March like well, for what, example what decision time, might be different for example this time there are the last time there were four people running for council uh, was 2013 and there we have a very f small group of candidates who can take off time during prime season and run a full-time campaign for this. This, and I think it. You redu when you reduce the number of candidates, you reduce the uh, pool in, in the town. It's, and that's what I said day one when it came out. So, I, and I still feel that way. I think it's this. We are the example of the of the failure of that. We're going to move on from that. You, we do have a period set aside at the end for thoughts that come up throughout this conversation. Can I be quite quick? No, thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a general question again for everybody, then we'll go back to some more uh, directed questions. But what should the city's top environmental priority be in your council term? Where do you want to start? I don't know. You pick. I'm going to say Bert, Linda, Rachel, Skibby. Top environmental priority is carrying capacity. And once we have some understanding of carrying capacity, we'll understand whether we need to have the, whatever acre feet it was, I couldn't have guessed that either, um, <laughs> or at the initial trivia, uh, to serve us. We, we never came down with that answer when we were moving water rights around. Uh, we will understand what uh, transit system we need to service, we'll under, to serve us, and we'll understand a budget for that. We'll understand what, size things that the city council doesn't control hospital fire district school system we have no control of those but it does help to have some uh on the environmental side some idea of what our current capacity is there's no question we could build manhattan in this town we could fill it with 100 story buildings and the demand is is limitless as rachel said 
that's not our, our competitive advantage is it's a small town character. People come here for something different and I don't want to wreck that, uh, that feeling. So it's, it has to be a carrying capacity discussion. Linda. Um, I believe our top environmental priority should be ensuring that Aspen keeps a recycle center in town. Uh, currently our recycle center is only funded through August and uh, to me it if we lose our recycle center then people who are not taking their recyclables to the center particularly cardboard it's just going to end up in the trash that trash will get taken to the landfill and the life um, of our landfill will just be diminished that much sooner um, it's already nearing capacity and I think we just need to prioritize keeping a landfill, or excuse me, a recycle center in Aspen. Great job. Okay. Thanks for the question. Uh, I think the city's done a pretty good job of uh, stepping forward on climate change. And climate change is the most pressing issue, I think, for the whole country. Um, but setting that aside, I would say being able to start to raise our voice as a community uh, on public land issues. We are surrounded by public lands. Uh, they are under assault at a federal level. There's weakening of the Clean Water Act. There's weakening of the Clean Air Act. Uh, we're seeing something like, not, forget about bear's ears over here from Obama, but all the way reaching back to the Clinton area to reduce the uh, Grand Staircase Escalante. And to me, that means things like the maroon bells are at risk. And the Forest Service budget, which has been cut back so horrendously that they can't do the mitigation in advance of wildfire season. So I think caring for and protecting the public lands that make Aspen special, that surround us, uh, would be a priority. I don't think it takes a new department. I think it just means passing some letters, standing in coalitions with other people who are working on these matters and making the Aspen voice heard that way. Thank you. I think Aspen back in the 70s and 80s and 90s really led on issues, right? Canary Initiative came up and there was a recognition that we are a town of 6,000 people and we could be carbon neutral tomorrow and it would have really very little appreciable impact on global temperature rise. But if we could create scalable solutions in Aspen that others could follow, we could really have a global impact. We've let that lapse. We have relinquished our sense of leadership. We now copy what cities do in Texas five and 10 years ago. And I think our single biggest priority, if we wanna really have an impact, is to use our privilege to create scalable things that others can follow and lead on climate change. Thank you all. Uh, this came up in trivia. There's about 80 meetings throughout the year. Just, that's just that work one. sessions and, um, and regular meetings. Of course, there's uh, some EOTC and you're, you sit in on other boards. And um, Skippy, uh, the, the three of us at the table here, journalists, have noticed some uh, responding, respond emails, you know, like auto-respond emails from you at times that say you require regular shutdown time, that say it's good and healthy to step away from the demands of daily life. How are you gonna get that which you say you need in this role? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I, I thank actually Meredith Carroll for bringing that up in her column the other day. I don't know if you guys read she that. But, uh, on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it was like some barbs, but you know, um, 
yeah, I think two years ago, if she had written that column, it might have been titled like Skippy, the Antichrist. So mm. it was nice to see her come around Good to bet. a mild endorsement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, look, um, I, I'm the millennial in the race, right? And I own that. I think that's great. Um, I'm also the person that has a track record of working 80 and 100 hour a weeks. Um, plenty of people running are retired or independently wealthy, et cetera. And that's, that's great. It's fine. But I run a business. I have a full-time job. I've been chairing PNZ for three chair terms. I've chaired NextGen for two terms. I've run a ballot initiative, and I've done all of that together. So I have a, a track record of getting the work done. I won't be on PNZ. I won't be on NextGen. All of my outside of work energy goes into this. And uh, occasionally, if I need a few days to recharge to do a better job for you guys, I hope you'll permit that for me. The, the full-time job and running the business are two separate things. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, okay yeah. thank you. Uh, Rachel, this is about APSHA, and uh, there's been a lot of momentum uh, from both the City Council and the Pickham County Commissioners to amend the intergovernmental agreement that uh, determines how APSHA is governed. Um, you have been in a position of power and leadership for quite some time, but I don't think we've we've seen you push any of these initiatives forward. You've You've been responding to the initiatives that have been coming out of City Hall, but wh why haven't you done anything to change APSHA's governance? It, it's an interesting question. Uh, from a perspective on the county side, uh, we have very, very limited development money. It all comes from mitigation money, and the funding of APSHA comes from the general fund. Uh, the city is fortunate enough to have a real estate transfer tax, which is their major source, as well as a sales tax that I think mostly is dedicated to childcare now, though, actually. Uh, we were in a small group situation trying to work on the capital reserve issues. Um, the county did suggest that perhaps governance was part of the real issue of moving things forward in those small group settings. Um, but we were working with others uh, who uh, were very firmly uh, bought into one proposal of how to solve that capital reserve problem, which was a 12 or, or $16 million solution uh, with $10,000 to each homeowner unit in an escrow account by APSHA. And uh, the county didn't agree that that was an appropriate or, or solid, efficient use of the taxpayer dollars. We presented a counter proposal that uh, could be done perhaps for $6 million, uh, and it hit a stalemate. The, that, that just hit an absolute dead wall uh, with the city. They were not interested in compromise. And so that proposal was kicked to the housing board to look at. I don't think they particularly liked the city's proposal either. And finally, after about six months, came back to saying, okay, let's all do the first step, which we all did agree on, of computerizing the system. That computerization, they went out for a request for proposals and uh, had asked for too much in the original request and got zero bidders. Absolutely no one responded and had to go back and rebid that. Uh, so I think that in terms of really changing APSHA, I have been speaking, uh, even when I was chair of the board or when we were doing small group meetings with uh, Steve Barwick and, and our John Peacock, that we should work on the governance issues. And it was only when I came back this summer that the discussion had turned to dissolving the housing office altogether. And folks realized that perhaps that wouldn't be political popular when you got to the elections in March. Uh, or also discovered that more than half of the units would stay in county control because that's where they were originally generated, created, or, or built, uh, did the city kind of come back and say, hey, well, why don't we check out governance now? 
But we'd been pushing from the county side a governance discussion in those small group meetings, uh, literally from day one. And uh, it was, um, it, it, sometimes you have to stand off. And I, I, I couldn't move the ball. I apologize for that. The, the county has more of the reputation of the two of not wanting to build, especially in the county. Do you, what should we be doing with the money that is in our housing fund? We accept money in lieu of building. Would you support building even in the county as a city council member? I respect the urban growth boundaries that were agreed to by both the city and the county in the Aspen area community plans and its updates. Um, so that is a, a different question. Do you want to start busting out the urban growth boundaries mm -hmm. to solve the housing problem? That would be a community discussion we should perhaps have. The county has, uh, again, not a renewing source such as sales tax or real estate. Our source of funding only comes from um, new growth, and, and it only offsets a little bit of it. We have been working with the Basalt Vista project, which is coming online as a partnership with Habitat for Humanity. And additionally, uh, we have purchased the Phillips Curve Mobile Home Park. Um, that it was expensive. It was uh, well over $6 million. It's going to need another $2 million in um, septic tank and, oh, excuse me, wastewater treatment upgrades to get rid of the septic tanks. And uh, that is, a, that is just about depleted the county's uh, source of funding. But I just want to point out that would have become two second homes. That was a scrape and replace scenario that we were facing. Do we help those 42, 44 residents remain in their, in their homes, or do we uh, try to focus those dollars somewhere else? I'm sorry and, to cut you off. Thank uh, you. Okay. Could, could, finish. Do, you, do you have an idea of what to do with the money that is in the housing account? Uh, if you're talking about the city's account, yes, uh, I would absolutely want to look at uh, moving forward with Burlingame Phase 3. I would want to start the design and programming as necessary to have a good BMC West project. And I would like to look at some of the older projects that the city had talked about in the past, such as the old Red Roof, which is part of Truscott, very older, the one-story studio buildings. Uh, there were plans once to see that as more of a two-bedroom, uh, two-story building as well. And thank you for the question. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, Linda, this one's for you. I, I noted an answer you gave uh, regarding housing and the uh, the Lift One Corridor proposal, uh, actually at one of the candidate forums, courtesy of Skippy. Um, but uh, you, your answer to the housing, you, you said something to the effect of, yeah, it's a problem. It's a good thing we have time to figure it out as far as how how do we make up for the housing deficit created by this project does that ring a bell oh i think we were talking about um the hotels along with the w that all of the employees are coming in and where do we where do we house all of the people yes that the, what, how, how do we deal with with yes. the housing deficit the holes where, where that are we, we keep, putting them at yeah where are we well, gonna put these the, the projects are mitigating for the employees and so the the bigger part of the conversation is the projects are mitigating for the appropriate number of employees as required by the code. So that's part of the issue. We all know that they're going to actually employ more people than the mitigation requires. So where do you put them? You know, and not everybody. That's question. Yes. So not everybody who works for these hotels, including the W, 
are actually going to live in Aspen. So, you know, some of these people are going to commute. They're going to drive cars. They're going to ride the bus. So, I mean, not everyone who works at these places are going to live in Aspen. So you're physically not going to have to house everybody who works there. That's realistic. That's part of the part of it. So, I mean, do you have to house everybody? No. But we do need to look at building more housing. That, and that's where I was going with that. I mean, we will have to physically build more units. And where do you put them? There's only a certain amount of area inside of Aspen. You know, we had at one point in time talked about smuggler. You know, could you put where the tennis courts are? And we passed on that. We do have land, like Rachel said, out at Burlingame for Burlingame 3. We have land at the um, BMC, you know, and I had talked about that. That would be a perfect spot for housing. Uh, we have a bunch of land there. But I am not opposed to looking outside of the urban growth boundary. You know, it is Aspen Pitkin County Housing Authority. You know, there are people who work for Pitkin County. You know, pick the heart of Pitkin County, seat of Pitkin County, is inside of Aspen. You know, so I think we need to be creative in what we're doing. You know, in the whole APSHA conversation, we need to be creative within APSHA. There are a lot of people who are now living in homes that have more bedrooms than what they need because their families have grown up and have left the, the home. There are people who are in homes that are smaller than what they need because they have children and they're in small units. You know, swap. If they're within the system, you know, we need to be creative. There are solutions that just with a little bit of creativity with right now that there are solutions that can work. So yes, building is part of it. But with the hotels that are coming on, not everyone who works there is going to live in Aspen. But, you know, we do need to build. Thanks, Linda. Bert, I can only imagine um, some of what you're thinking as Linda speaks, which is uh, a perfect segue into our final question for you. Um, you are a supporter of 100% employee mitigation. If someone's starting a new business, it's going to bring new people to town, find a place for them to sleep, owner, business, developer, whoever that is. Um, so that sounds like super pro-housing. It also seems like it'll have the effect of zero development. So is, is that the end game? I've suggested phasing that in. So during this council, we raised the housing requirement from 60 to 65%. We did a 5% increase. Um, it was probably a mistake to do that. It should have been a 1% per year increase, which means we'd have only 4% at the end of my term instead of five. So it would put us a little behind where we would be, but it would, what it would do is continue things going forward. And uh, over time, I don't think it would change the, uh, upset the real estate market that much if it was a 1% increase until you get to 100% on the, uh, on the discount that we have. Right now, it's a 35% discount. You walk in the door. So like who, who are we something. serving with 100% mitigation? What is, what's the For example, of that? the Sky Hotel. You what? have three bedrooms. You have, I think, two units of affordable housing there, and the uh, Lift One space has uh, two one-bedroom units. I, who, who will it be, like if, if that went through 100% mitigation, yep. who would that benefit? How would that change the that town? That would benefit the employers who say we don't have, uh, we can't house our employees. So when you're trying to hire, you would have place to house employees, okay. and that's. That's not the case right now. It's very difficult to find housing for, it's easy to find employees, it's difficult to find housing. Can you think of a build, a new building that doesn't exist that Aspen needs? A new building that doesn't exist? 
And I think we can reuse a lot of current spaces. So, and that's what I've suggested with City Hall uh, and the Daily News space. Rather than adding another 30,000 square feet, we own the old art museum. That could be uh, early childhood education space. We at 7,000 square feet. We have, we own a lot of space. Uh, where else have all these nonprofits? picked up and left the city buildings. We, we have this mountain rescue, left us a building behind. The youth center, left us a building behind. The old art museum, left us a building behind. Yet we still need to build more. We need to figure out our ratios, the job generation, and figure out how to not dig the hole deeper on housing uh, for and jobs. Thank you. We want to have a final moment for each of you to respond to anything that's come up. I have one more general question uh, for each of you, so if this answer could be quick so that we have time for your final comments as well. 2,000, 2,500 people will be voting for you. Uh, no, half that. Half that will be voting for you. However, uh, ten to get a hundred percent. I hope. We'll be four, four times that work in Aspen. Ten times that work in Aspen. How will you, as city council, consider those who don't live in Aspen, but Aspen is their home? It's where they work. It's where they did grow up, but they had to move away. Is there any part of you that will consider those who live outside of Aspen? Skippy, yeah. Twenty-five hundred is a failure. Our goal should be 100%, and I'll be the only one that actually works on that because that's the only way we represent our whole community. Should we be thinking about our valley? Absolutely, right? The people that often know most about Aspen's failures are the ones who no mm. longer live in it because they were forced down valley because of it. So if we don't think of this entire valley as an organism, we're doing ourselves a big disservice. Thanks, Kip. Thanks, Allison. That's a great question. Um, I have always worked regionally. I think we need to work regionally to solve our problems, whether that's the formation of the Regional Transportation Authority or the recent opening of the new Mountain Family Health Clinic in Basalt, which will deal with Medicaid and low-income patients. We, as Pickin County, help double the size of that in partnership with Aspen Valley Hospital. Our workforce is critically important to us, and that's why I've raised issues that I believe the city, again, should raise its voice on, whether it's through a letter or a resolution to support our le state legislators who are working on the high cost of individual health insurance in this community. That hurts small businesses, it hurts families, it hurts all sorts of people. If you're on a group plan, you're on Medicare, maybe VA, you're in good shape. But if you have to go out on your own or you're an employer who can't afford to offer his employees insurance, they are paying the highest rates in the country. So that hurts individuals and it hurts small businesses. There's a lot of ways to work with the community, good transportation. Uh, we have purchased land to preserve uh, habitat outside of Pickens County's boundaries. That's a regional approach. Okay, thank you. Linda. Thank you. We are an entire community, whether or not you are here for a season working on a ski lift, here for the summer, for the music school, whether you're, this is your first home, second home, whatever. We are an entire community, and we need to think broadly like that, up and down, from Aspen all the way throughout the Roaring Fork Valley. So we just need to think broadly as a community. And Bert. Reducing the housing at uh, Lift 1 from 91 to 46 displaces those 46 FTEs somewhere uh, outside of our community. And so we are, as a community, voting on placing those people mm. somewhere else. Uh, and we need to realize our impacts on the, on the communities around us. Are you writing your story? Uh, we have one minute each for closing statements. Thank you. We'll start with Bert. 
I think it all comes down to ratios. How much uh, housing do we want? Uh, how many jobs do we want? How many locals do we want? How many visitors do we want? And what before the, the guest experience and the local living experience deteriorates. So I'm not willing to kill the golden, golden goose to, uh, uh, to get more right now. Uh, and that seems to be uh, where we're headed. We need to have a conversation about uh, carrying capacity and the ratios of, of all of those uh, pieces. Bert Myron, thank you. Linda Manning. I just want to use my minute to say something about the election date change. I think the change to March is interesting, but if we want true voter participation, the election date would be in November when we know more people vote. People vote in November, and if it wasn't for the lift one question on this ballot, I think mm. we would actually see a reduction in voter turnout. But I hope everybody votes March 5th. Ballots go in the mail on Monday. Early voting starts in the clerk's office on the 19th. Please come out and vote. Thanks, Linda. Rachel Richards. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank the Aspen Times and Grassroots and KJAX and the Daily News for hosting us tonight. I'd like to thank my colleagues here at the table and all of you for turning out to listen. I have a website. I'd encourage you to take a look. It's voteracholrichards.com. And uh, to address all the things that have come up at the table, <laughs> I, I don't want to kill the golden goose, but you got to care and feed for it a little bit every now and then. And you got to care and feed for our workforce. And you got to take care of our public lands. And we need more child care facilities. The uh, old power plant is totally inadequate. It's next to a river. You don't put toddlers next to a river. And it doesn't have <laughs> windows. You don't do that either. You know, uh, but there are some full uses over there right now. Um, we need to talk about realistic solutions and, and, and not wishful thinking. There's going to be tough challenges and tough choices we have to make. Ten I think seconds. it's a matter of cooperation, coordination, and compromise. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Skippy Mesro. I'd appreciate your vote. <laughs> I would just say I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm lucky to be here with you. I'm lucky to have an incredible community. I'm lucky that my grandparents decided to come here in the 50s. I wake up every day feeling like I live in the best place in the world, but we often forget it wasn't easy to get here and it didn't happen by accident. People in the 70s and 80s and 90s worked really hard and did some very, very difficult <laughs> things that we now take for granted to get us here. Those interventions are wearing off. Our middle's been eroding for 20 years. We are at a tipping point. And if we don't get very serious about doubling down on that formula and doing the difficult things that this council and previous councils have put off, this place will not be as awesome for my grandkids as it was left for me. And so I'm running entirely to rebuild that Ten middle. Seconds. And the good news is we have every tool in the toolbox to make this thing happen that we could ever want and make it even better. It just takes the will. That's time. Thank you. Well, thank you all. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. That's all the time we have for the council candidates. Uh, please remember to vote before March 5th. That is election day. And uh, if there's a runoff, it's going to be the first Tuesday in April. And uh, we're going to continue with the mayors after this. We're going to take a little break. Uh, but please stay tuned for the mayor, uh, mayoral candidates. And thank you all for joining us. Thank you. Good job.
Yes. You should be ready to go. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the second part of Squirm Night. Uh, we are starting now with our four candidates for the Aspen mayor race. Uh, Squirm Night is a collaboration among the Aspen Times, Aspen Daily News, Grassroots TV, and Aspen Public Radio. I'm David Krause, editor of the Aspen Times. And I'm Allison Bektesh with Aspen Public Radio. I want to introduce our candidates as well, Kale Mitchell and Mullins, Tori and Adam Frisch. I woke up at 5.30 in solidarity. I know you guys also had an early morning. Uh, so thank you so much for being here late into the evening with us on a cold night and all of you. The candidates have done profile interviews with all the media involved. Those are all available on each of our websites. That is not the kind of night we're having here. We've solicited questions from the public, from the candidates themselves, and from area journalists, and we're sending those hard-hitting questions to our candidates. Uh, as with er earlier with the council, uh, we will, the format tonight will be direct questions from the moderators mm. to each candidate. There were also uh, no opening remarks. We're going to get right into questions. Uh, we'll start with some rapid-fire trivia. Uh, rebuttals will be allowed only at our discretion. So that means probably none, because we want to keep this moving along. Uh, but we'll leave it open. Um, and we will, in the final segment, uh, allow all the candidates to have a minute or two for a closing remark. Um, so with that, we will uh, start with some trivia. Allison? We're going to do a Bechtest signature game. Those of you who were here for the earlier discussion know that this is a, a grab bag of fun, either cultural or policy trivia to get us started and uh, inform the public about some of the things around here. I'm just gonna go down. Adam, Tori, and Kale, bloop, bloop, bloop. We have three rounds. Are you ready? Yes. Adam, I had to put this one back in. How many council meetings are there a year, work sessions and council meetings? 80, didn't we have this question before? 80, sorry. <laughs> I needed 12. Fast up that I heard the answer. <laughs> Tori, who created Aspen's dancing fountain across from the Wheeler Opera House? Uh, Nick DeWolf, and uh, he had a planning partner with it, though. Um, Travis Fulton, good thank job. Thank you, Travis Fulton. <laughs> so easy. And what percent of Aspen workers commute into town? 47%. Uh, I think it's closer to 60%. Kale, how much did Aspenites receive, will they receive as a food tax refund this spring? I don't know that answer. $55. Adam. It went up. In the 2018 Aspen Citizen Survey, what percent of respondents said the job the city does listening to residents is good or excellent? Lower than last time. Lowest, <laughs> lowest ever. Yeah. Uh, so you want a number? Yes, please. 56%. 27%. Yeah, I was going to say 30 Tori, there's a mural on the side of the Crystal Palace. It has cigars for sale for how much? Five cents. Five cents. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Live around the corner from there? And I've been here for 25 how long years, did it yeah. take uh, to get to the top, to the sun deck before the, the gondola was there? Uh, 25 minutes. I heard 45. 45. <laughs> 45. The, the gondola? Yeah, if you want to, before the gondola. How long did it take to get to the sun deck with our... Oh, Little Nell, yeah. Bell Mountain. Sorry, yeah. trick question. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Kale, what year did Aspen go 100% renewable? Uh, I believe it was 2004. 2015. Adam, in the 1890s, Aspen produced what percent of the nation's silver? 83. Nations. 
<laughs> one sixth, 16 percentish. <laughs> Tori, when was Aspen founded? 1891? 1881. 81, sorry. And you got this twice, so I'm just going to give it to you. The AACP, what do those initials mean in, according to Aspen? Aspen Area Community Plan. Good job. I know, it's easy. I know that one's easy. <laughs> okay. Kale, how much did the city spend on a new logo? Uh, close to 50000 It was 50000 51-ish thousand dollars. Thank you for playing my game. That's fine. <laughs> All right. We will now start with some questions to each candidate. We'll uh, ask you to try to keep your answers to two minutes. Allison's got the timer going, so we'll start interrupting you. Um, we'll uh, have any follow-ups as we see fit. Um, by an uh, unscientific uh, approach, we are starting with Anne. Um, Anne, no matter what, you are still going to be the only person of the eight candidates who will be on the council for at least the next two years. You've said the biggest problem with the current council is the lack of communication and transparency, but aren't you part of that problem and how do you fix that? Hmm, good question. <laughs> um, the, I am, I'm running for mayor because I think I can be the best, the best mayor of all the candidates. I have a leadership personality. If I am elected mayor, when I'm elected mayor, it will be a completely different council. The composition will change dramatically. Uh, there'll be a different type of leadership at the council table. Uh, the way I approach projects or uh, problem solving is transparent, inclusive, strategic, and as leader of council, I will bring council along with that type of pro process. Uh, primarily, yes, I'll be still on council, but it will just, uh, Ward and myself will be the only one on council possibly. There may be three new members, two new members. So it will be uh, somewhat of a fresh start there for council. Do you, do you have a communication strategy you would employ? Uh, communication strategy overall, uh, we failed at that and I think we need to completely transform it with the citizens. Instead of asking citizens to come to us, we hmm. need to go out to them, whether it's neighborhood caucuses, uh, council members go out to periodically. Uh, staff, there needs to be still communication through the city manager, which is, will be his or her job, but uh, council needs to have much more interface with the staff. Adam, I would say we, we got this general question regarding you more than once, and perhaps you've heard this too. It's about your late in the game voting and maybe even switching up to where you seem like you're on a vote. Most recently with the Lift 1 proposal, where it seemed up until I think 11 p.m. the night of the final vote, you wouldn't be in favor, and then you did go ahead and, and vote to get it on the ballot. Or um, can you can you respond to that? How do you make your decisions? Um, first of all, I need to give full disclosure. My wife Katie's on the board. Thank you for doing Katie that. JX and happily so. She just got on there. Um, so it was 11:45 at night uh, <laughs> when we we cast our final vote, and uh, Ann and Ward were. Um, on one side of the issue as far as fully supporting uh, the $4.36 million uh, city contribution in some way. And, and Bird and Steve did not want to do it um, and wanted it to um, have, have those issues removed. And uh, I certainly didn't plan on being caught in the middle or whatever you want to look at it, but a lot of times I've, I've been the decisive vote on a couple things. I think that's, that's the question. 
And <laughs> so as to 1A, um, I just didn't feel like we should keep the question from going to the voters. Um, I preferred if it would have stayed at the council table as I do in the vast majority of votes, including where the city hall is going to go and some other issues. I believe the vast majority of issues should be handled at the council table and the representative <clears throat> democracy. And so one of the things I need to work on more um, when I'm mayor is, on one hand, people like to hear my thought process play out, weighing two different sides. And Aspen Times even commended me on that in 2015 when they wrote an endorsement for me. Uh, others, especially when they are in the lens of a binary view, um, want to hear a simple yes or a simple no. And lift one is not a simple question, as some people might think it is. Uh, and I, I remain troubled um, by some of the asks that are coming that we've all been talking about. But I, I felt it was in the best interest of the community for at least the voters to have a, a question to be asked. Would it not, instead of worrying about the time of day, would it not have been better to just push it off and do a special election for it and feel like you vetted it out more? The it, we should not be putting things on the ballot at 1145 at night after a long day, is that? Kind of, and why worry about the trying to get it done then and not just saying, you know what, let's step back and make this a special election for whatever that small cost is? I, I think the community and, and city council have been hearing from the Lift One project uh, over the years, and two or three years. And even a year ago, we put it on pause for a while, I had a little bit of my leadership and, and other people as well to see if we could focus on the lift location. Because it wasn't too long ago that the, the fate of complete the lift location was going to be where it was, and I felt that the vast majority of people wanted it to, to come down. And the Gorsuch House, which I give them credit for, went on hold for a little bit, and we brought an SC group, and the staff did a great job of working with the developers and the community and ski company to see if we get the lift lower, and that's what's on the ballot. I'm not sure waiting an extra week or two would have changed the vote at the end of the day, and because um, I'm not sure if there was a matter of more information. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Ann and Ward, speaking on their behalf a little bit, and Ann can correct myself, is that if it would have been a couple weeks longer, I think they would have stayed where they would have been, and I think that Bert and the mayor would have been where they would have been. And I made a commitment um, that I thought it should go to the voters and that they should be as informed as possible. So I'm not sure the extra time would have helped. Thank you. Tori, we got this question in a number of ways. Uh, why do you seem to only show up in council chambers when an election is imminent? And what have you done to advance the changes you advocate now outside of election season? Thank you. Um, first of all, thank you all for being here. Um, I, you know, that's just not true. Um, uh, it does happen to be that I run for office every two years. So you're sure to see me then. But to be honest with you, I've actually been in touch with this council many a time through email. I've shown up here for public comment. To be honest with you, uh, it seems to have a negative effect on the causes that I work towards. Uh, I've, I've faced problems with communication with this council and some resistance to some of the things that I do bring forward. Uh, I continually fight for a composting program citywide here in Aspen. I will continue to fight for that, and I'll continue to bring that forward. Uh, I oppose the city hall development that's going on down at Rio Grande. I was here for several of those meetings. And just recently, I was here uh, looking at the vote going down for the lift one ballot question. 
Uh, I actually speak to this council on a lot of issues, but I've got to be honest with you. Um, I feel like in a lot of instances, um, I compel them to go the other direction, perhaps because it's me. Tori, if you step into the mayorship and we have a result where Ann stays on council and Burnt wins, that's almost the exact council you're saying you don't get along with. No, that's actually two out of the five. But, um, but you know, I, I work well with Ann. I, I, we actually agree on a lot of issues and, and seek to move things forward. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, there's been a logjam. Uh, I think part of part of that could be about the campaign itself. You know, the uh, the dialogues that I've had with them over the last six years since I've been in office uh, have come at a time where maybe they uh, feel like that's a, a campaign threat. I, I don't know. I've run against each one of these two. Um, before in the past. So, you know, I, I got to be honest, I, I feel like it kind of turns the wrong direction. It must be me. Kale, this is the second time you've run for mayor. It's the first time you've officially been on the ballot. The first time two years ago, you put in uh, your paperwork and then it was discovered by our city clerk that you didn't qualify. You didn't qualify because you lived outside of the city limits of Aspen. That means you wouldn't have gotten a ballot did you so you ha, you hadn't voted in city issues and you didn't know you hadn't voted in civ, city issues my question is h how civically engaged are you or why why did that even come about um the last general election kind of made me realize that i need to get involved and i need to be a voice within the community within the government and a lot of people who know me know I'm very vocal, very opinionated about a lot of things. I'm, you know, a very open-minded individual as well. Um, I definitely am always looking for an opportunity to learn and grow. And I'm just trying to do my civic duty now to, you know, further my development, further my education and understand a system that I don't necessarily understand as well as my other candidates. But it is something that I feel that we all should be doing. We all should be getting more involved with democracy because democracy is going to fail unless we get a voter turnout of, like Skippy's saying, you know, 100%. We need to show that our community can band together and we can create the changes that are possible and that need to happen in this world. So, so you're pushing for 100% voter participation, but you were not one of those voters who were participating? Most certainly, I was not one of those voters who was participating. And did, this did you vote a, in this last election in November? I, I did, yes. Okay. That was the, the first election that I had voted in. Welcome to the party. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that's the end of our first round, so we're gonna do a general question for everyone to answer. Um, we'll start down at that end, Kale, uh, since you had the last uh, spot in that last round. Um, general question, would you be willing to ask the developers of Lift One to open their books so we can see their financials if we're going to be partners in this deal as a city? If so, or if not, why? Kale? I most certainly would be open for that because uh, that's one of the things that's going on in town council, the city governments uh, that we're looking to change right now is the communication that goes on with the public, with private sectors. So that would be something that with our finances involved in this project, I most certainly would think that we should have access to them and an understanding of where the money is being spent. Thank you. Anne? Um, yes, I think that would be a, uh, a reasonable request. But then again, if you want to <laughs> expand it to every partner, would we be wanting to look at the books of the Aspen Ski Company? I, I mean, there's, there's some discretion there, I think. Uh, 
But if we are a financial partner, we should be able to go ahead and ask uh, the Lift One applicants uh, as many questions as we want. Hopefully, we get the answers we need. Tori? I would agree. Uh, I think we should be privy to some of the information, especially on the areas of the project that we'd be partnering on. Adam? Uh, we can ask. They'll say no, and that will become a data point in people's election decision. Interesting. Go ahead. And do you have a campaign manager? Pardon me? Do you have a campaign manager? No, I have a campaign committee. I have a very strong campaign committee. Who are some of those people? Uh, it's Christine Benedetti, Ruthie Brown, Bill Sterling, Blanco O'Leary, Barbara Reed, and Giles Thornley. Okay, thank you. And I picked them specifically because of the range of demographics, uh, housing, uh, whether employee housing or free market, uh, children of different ages. So I, I chose them to have a, a, a kind of a broad representation of people living in Aspen. I'm asking as a representation of, you know, as a leader, who are you going to use to inform you? How are you going to make sure you get all perspectives? I guess I don't quite understand. If you become mayor, right. are you going to have advice? Who are you going to turn to and ask? How are you going to make sure you get perspectives that you haven't thought of? Um, primarily the public. And as I said, a whole different type of outreach, going out to the public, um, getting information. I, we have to keep working on this uh, the the means of communication but the the mayor should be you know whether having office hours having office hours every day of the week and taking appointments having people coming in returning emails that kind of thing uh communication with staff again as i said uh being much more present and available to staff much better communication across the council table there have been times where where our council has been somewhat siloed and uh, I think it's been some of the reason we haven't gotten uh, things done as well as we should have or even succeeded at different things. So, are, are these things that you do now currently as a council member, but the council as a whole doesn't do now? Or, or you don't, do you have office hours right now and are you available to staff? Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a city office. Yes, I'm available to staff. Uh, not set office hours since I don't have an office. Uh, but again, I mean, a lot of the communication is through email. Uh, there's a lot of phone calls. We meet individually, um, different council members. Of course, you can't, can't have the three of them. Hmm. But I meet with the mayor frequently, stop by. Um, spend a lot of time at City Hall, whether checking in with Jim True to see what, what's going on or get questions answered. Uh, no lack of communication, continual communication with everybody that I'm working with. Thanks, Dan. Adam, you were supportive of the school district's proposal for a slice of the uh, Wheeler Ret. Would you do that again, uh, considering the language in the Ret doesn't include schools? So it wasn't about schools, it was about arts. Um, sure. And so I have been the Lone Ranger. I've tried twice over the past five years to at least get my fellow council people to realize that $32 million is way more than enough money to make sure the Wheeler's capital building is taken care of and the multi-million dollar subsidy that keeps that wheeler uh building programming lights on and the staff has come up there's probably at least a million dollars a year that can be better used in the community uh, and still protect the wheelers programming in the building so the first step is just to get people to admit that then the second question is where should it go and i think it should remain in the arts and then we need to have a conversation about that. Um, so while the 
district theater is on the campus of the school district. It's also used by the beloved Aspen Santa Fe Ballet. And the district theater also hosts a lot of other community events, uh, nonprofit and for-profit that the community use. So one of my goals, hopefully, when I become mayor, is to open up that discussion um, about what is the best way to utilize the Wheeler's RET on behalf of the arts community. And again, I love the Wheeler. I'm there a lot. My son's on stage there a lot. Um, I, I think Jenna and the team are doing a great job. But um, the original legislation was never set up to collect that amount of money. And I would like, I think it can be better utilized. And while the district theater should have probably have a seat at the table, I appreciate there's going to be a lot of other seats that we're going to have to have at the table. And I think that's a community discussion that we need to have and make a decision. Should we look at, if we have that much money, should we look at lowering that tax so we're not, as taxpayers, giving that much money back to a fund that already has $32 million in it? I think um, the real estate transfer taxes are very rare, and we are grandfathered in, and I think it would be incredibly short-sighted for us to give it back. I think the community can figure out something to do it, to use with it. Uh, smartly and fiscally responsible. Um, This is a high-service community, uh, and most people are concerned about the efficiency of the money used as opposed to how much is collected. And so I would, but at the end of the day, it's going to come up to the voters. Um, The city council does not have the ability to redistribute that rent money or lower the tax for it. That's going to be a community discussion. And if some people in the community want to talk about lowering that rent, that can be part of the discussion as well. But at the end of the day, it's going to have to go to a public vote. Thank you. Tori, you've served on council before, so we're looking at that record a bit. Um, One moment that I'm sure comes up every two years as you run is a time when you called for a moratorium during a council meeting. You didn't have the votes for that. It didn't go through. Development applications reined in, people being worried that there was going to be a moratorium, they wouldn't get their projects in. I have, I wonder what that says about how you communicate with your fellow council members in order to get a vote like that to pass, and just the lasting impacts of that. Are we seeing buildings that led to a successful 2015, 2016 moratorium because of that? Was that a mistake? No, uh, you know, there, there's no direct nexus between the applications that came in. Yes, they came in uh, ahead of schedule perhaps, but under us even mentioning a moratorium coming, uh, those would have been in under that deadline anyway. And that was the discussion actually that council did have. Uh, We did discuss that uh, briefly as a group. Uh, What I brought to the table on that Monday night meeting was actually the opportunity to send it to the next night. Um, The ask of my fellow council members at that time was just to have the discussion about uh, a height change, a height restriction in town, Uh, moving it from something that was about 42 feet up to 47 feet uh, with allowances, uh, things that we've seen built in our community that we did not like and things that were coming. And I asked my fellow council members simply to put it to the next night so that we could have a longer discussion about it. the mayor at the time, Mick Ireland, Steve Scadron, who was on council at that time, and myself supported moving it to the next night for discussion. It was Adam Frisch and Derek Johnson who did not agree with that. Um, I don't think it was a mistake. I think the mistake was made on the part of Derek and Adam. I think they should have seen what we were trying to achieve at that time uh, and, and got it going through, at least had the conversation for the next night. And I just want to clarify, of course, those applications wouldn't have come in anyway if that night you had voted 
for a moratorium. No, th- no, those plans that w- those plans were queued up. Those, the, no, I, I disagree. Uh, we're talking about about eleven applications that came in, um, and the, that's just not the case. Uh, moratorium was not put in effect. That meant the discussion about height reductions was going to happen, which it would have happened anyway. And that's when the applications came in. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. Kale, you seem like you're running uh, more to do with adding to the conversation um, in town. What do you feel like you've added to the conversation in this mayoral race? Uh, One of the only platforms that I'm running on is forward thinking and thinking about our future as humanity and the changes that we need to make. And a lot of those changes are going to happen on a communal level. Um, I am pushing for a lot of our funds to be redirected towards things that are going to make a difference in this town see it uh you know 40,000 square foot greenhouse that's at the entrance to aspen on the Merolt open space um developments with uh, innovation of employee housing within the community um, i think that we are in an age where there are a few questions that cannot be answered and we are looking at a lot of our issues from a very small-minded perspective and we need to start expanding that and listening to what the people want and listening to what the whole community wants and acting on those and not focus on these you know smaller scale problems that aspen does have um, we need to start thinking about the the future of our whole entire community. So that's what I'm trying to bring to this election is a outside perspective coming from a citizen of democracy who's wanting to get more involved. So you want to broaden the discussion and bring in these perspectives. Do you want to win? Most certainly I want to win. And then uh, just to get a specific that seemed a little general. Do you have a specific innovative housing solution on, in mind? No, I don't. But I think that there's many examples throughout the world to look at and try to incorporate within Aspen. I think that we do need to look at our zoning height restrictions um, in a lot of areas. I think that there are several areas where many of the citizens would agree that we could install a large scale apartment complex that is housing for employees and employees only. Thank you. All right, we're going to have another general question. This will go to all four of you. Um, I'd like to start with Tori on this one. Um, It's about the current council and mayor. uh, So I'd like to start with Tori and then Kale, and then we'll get two people who are currently on the council. Uh, This came from one of our readers. Which side are you on in the city and mayor's war against parking spaces? Did you do an order? Did you see one? Uh, yeah, Tori first, yeah, and then she, Kale, and then we'll go to the people who are on the current council. Sure. You know, I, I've um, yeah, I've, I've long said that we need to look for uh, parking solutions, traffic p- solutions, and transit solutions that don't punish the public first. Um, I, I, I'm was not a supporter of their moves to re- reduce parking, uh, and actually, there's been. There's been parking removed all over town in various degrees, but I think the biggest proposal was obviously on Hopkins Avenue, Restaurant Row. Uh, I I don't support removing parking until we create an alternative that can serve the need. Um, You know, 
I know a lot of people in the discussion about transportation worry about uh, inviting cars to town, but I'm still really concerned about dealing with what we have now. Um, you know, when it comes to parking, I actually have advocated for increasing parking. Uh, we have an opportunity at the Rio Grande uh, parking garage to expand that. Um, and I haven't heard motion from council to approve that as even part of the city hall redevelopment goes on down there. Uh, I would encourage that. I've also talked for years about uh, raising the silver circle ice rink up one level and perhaps creating parking below that level. How much would that cost? I haven't done the math on, on construction costs in the last three years. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot cheaper than digging down. So you can get some surface parking underneath an ice rink for a lot more affordable bucks. Kale, how are you on parking in the city's war against parking spaces? I most certainly don't think that we need to eliminate any parking spaces in town. But once again, you know, turning to the utilization of the means in place already, we have a parking lot that houses thousands of cars when the X Games comes to town and they get on a bus, no problem, to go to an event. Um, so that was the whole concept of the Intercept lot was to push forward with this idea where people are parking outside of town or getting less cars on the street. So we need to utilize the, the means that are already in place. Anne? Um, I, I wouldn't describe it as a war on parking. What? I know, I've talked to you. <laughs> um, it costs $40 to go park to go skiing. It's a war on Thank you. I think we need to answer the questions. Uh, it's, you know, the original goal was to free up one or two parking spaces per, per block so that we didn't have this constant driving around town. The congestions, the greenhouse gas emissions, all the problems with that. So we looked at uh, raising parking rates, giving free parking to employees after 3 o'clock in the afternoon, improving the intercept lot. We subsidized the downtowners so people don't have to drive two or three blocks into downtown. The goal was to free up some parking spaces downtown. That was very simple. We tried um, free parking doesn't work. The day that we switched out the parking meters several years ago, we had free parking. Every space was full by 7 in the morning, and it wasn't customers. And this is the challenge we've got. Maybe the parking rates are too high now, but it is keeping the spaces um, moving and open and available so that the businesses actually can change, have a switch in customers during the day, and the spaces aren't taken up. We're doing the valet parking. I actually don't quite agree with the valet parking over at the gondola, but the valet parking on Hopkins, I think, has been really successful. Again, freeing up, up spaces in town. Uh, so I don't consider it a war. I, I think we're quasi-successful. The rates are probably a bit too high right now, uh, and we can adjust those, kind of a course correction there. But again, it's, it's not a war on parking. It's not a war on businesses. Actually, by having the um, parking spaces available, businesses are getting more customers than they would if the spaces were full all day long consistently. Thank you. Adam? Yeah, thank you. Um, the, the goal of the downtown core is to have high turnover of cars to support the local business community, to shop and eat and play. And so unlike Boulder and Denver that start their parking either 24 hours a day or 7 or 8 in the morning, we started at 10 to allow locals or other people to run in there and try to do some stuff. 
There's a one-time 15-minute parking free per day. Uh, and talked about all the alternatives we have for people to access it. But it is not easy, and this will come to anyone who sits up here all the time, of the amount of high desirability for different spaces in this community, whether it's the road on 82, whether it's the housing, or whether it's the parking spots. So until um, we used to have a four-hour parking limit, we have a four-hour parking limit now. It was never enforced until a couple years ago. We did some data checks, and 90 of the spaces downtown were parked all day by employees. Now um, the parking department is giving tickets for the four-hour turnover, and we're down to three people a day that are paying basically to be there all day. And so I think from a business owner standpoint, uh, the higher turnover is better. Uh, for those that complain, including my incredibly wealthy friends, about $6 an hour parking during the high season of the day, if we were to go down to $3, which we could do, and it's just going to produce less money for the no-fare bus system we're in town, they will pay less, but they will probably be walking a lot further to their location. So you can pay $3 and walk three blocks, or you can pay $6 and walk a block. I'm kind of agnostic to that conversation, but I'm pretty sure if we were to lower the prices, the conversations would not be about how much it costs to be here. It would be about how far I have to walk to get to my destination. And then we're having a conversation two years from now during the election about how we should probably raise the prices to try to get, and this is the cycle we get in. Um, it was interesting, in 1994, I think is when we started paid parking, and there was a honkathon around City Hall. Everyone was, everyone was really upset about the paid parking. And uh, now I don't know anyone who wants free parking. We did a test. The, the slowest week of the year is the week before Thanksgiving, November 15th, and Ann ref references. We offered free parking the week of November 15th, and every spot was sold up by 7 a.m., and no one left until 6 p.m. And so I'm, again, if anyone has an ideas of how to balance a super desirable place and what price we should be charging and how to help the locals out, I'm all for it. And we're not tearing down buildings. We're not allowing new buildings to go up. We can try to bring in some type of dyna dynamic pricing or something to go to try things. But um, we're trying to provide turnover and pace places to park within a block of where people want to go. Thank you. Um, Anne, uh, if you're elected, then we're going to have to fill your seat on city council. Um, people will submit applications and then the council will vote. Um, as in 2013, uh, or if we get to a situation like 2013 where we have a 2-2 vote, how do you manage um, filling that seat and, the, and trying to avoid a situation like we had in 2013 when it was deadlocked and almost came to the roll of a dice? I actually supported the roll of the dice. That's what was in the city charter, and I thought that's what we should do, and if we didn't like it, then we could go back and change the charter. But um, we didn't. Uh, the tie was broken. Uh, I, was that broken by you? No, I think, it was, I think it was Steve. Uh, I know it was Steve, sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it's rocket science. We asked for a applications. Um, you take a look at them. Uh, I've had quite a few people say, would it be the third runner-up? That is one good idea. They have gone through an election period and kind of a vetting with the public, but they also aren't the person that the public wanted at the council table. So it, it, to me, that's not, that, that's not the obvious answer. Uh, probably the third runner-up would be an applicant, but you'd accept other applicants too. 
and just go through a vetting project, uh, process and uh, council would decide and which I'm trying to remember we didn't have any any public comment as I recall when but that might be something to incorporate get some public feedback but basically go through the same process we did before but we don't get to do roll of the dice anymore it just has to be a majority vote well of the, of the, the two council yeah it would be two two that to roll the dice so how do we Right. How do we do that? Because <laughs> it, it was no. Um, it was two two. That's how the roll the dice and right. Steve and then Steve the decided, yeah, this building was to avoid it. Switching his decision to support Dwayne Romero. Yeah. So you you would debate until you. Got, <laughs> yeah, I. I'm you would sorry. debate until you got to the point where there was a majority. Do I, in, you caught me there because you know I'm trying to remember because it was Steve that broke the tie, so there must have been five of us. But how did that? You, you it went three one. It. Yeah. It was before. It was Art Daly. Without, I, mean, I we have so many good questions for you. Without rehashing that. Yeah. There's would, an easy solution to that though. Would, and would your solution be, you you need the you need a majority of the current council members. That's how you would go. You would take applications and you would ask for. You would wait till you got the majority of council members to choose yeah, one. That would be one. Way okay. Thank you. Yeah. Let's move on. Thank you, Adam. You've led been part of the discussion to re-govern APSHA in different ways. I'm curious about your thoughts as to who the executive director of the Housing Authority should be reporting to in order to best serve the people in the housing program. So yeah, I've been, the affordable housing uh, program is the thing I got involved with in 2009 because I think it's the bedrock foundation of what makes this community an authentic place to live and play and visit. Um, I've been asking for some governance conversations for a couple of years, and I wish they could have happened sooner. But um, as Rachel commented before, it can be a little delicate when you have a, a group of city people and a group of county people. But there's been some great work. We met for the first time in December 11th to have a really productive conversation at the start. And the focus there was on the makeup of the board. And I think there was some pretty good agreement um, earlier on in this week uh, on that board makeup. And now the question becomes, as I raised in December 11th, it's not just the board that equals the governance. It has to do with the reporting structure. Um, and we have a little bit of a two- or three-headed um, convoluted dotted lines with the executive director re having some reporting structure to the APSHA board. At least that's what, not as much as they think they have legally, but that's the relationship they want to focus on. Um, as a representative of the city's money who puts in about 90% of how the affordable housing program gets managed and built, um, I think it's important that there needs to be some level of responsibility back to the city that's financing this. Um, and obviously the county is a factor as well, and some housing could be built there, and they also pay 50% uh, of the annual bill. Uh, to run the operations and as Rachel said before they're also still making with limited money but they're still making investments in the production of more housing and so when the APSHA board doesn't hire the executive director or fire the executive director or is paid pays the executive director I'm having a hard time trying to figure out as much as the APSHA board and the APSHA director want to report to each other I still think those that are investing the money um, need to have some level of responsibility of how those citizens' funds are spent. And I want to focus on making sure that the city and the county 
are looked after as the ones that are funding it and making sure that in some instances that the board has some amount of input on how the APSHA director is reporting. But I'm very leery of the APSHA board being the only reporting line for the APSHA housing director. Thanks. Tori, you are, of the four candidates up there, the only one against the Lift One proposal. Uh, and you've said that you can do better and we can do better. Specifically, how can we make it better without a lower chairlift? Or how do we keep that lift down at Dean Street, which people in town seem to want, um, going forward if this doesn't get approved? Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, I, you know, I think that this council has put us in quite a jam. Um, you know, a lot of these points could have been negotiated at the table moving forward. I know there was a lot of give and take back and forth. Uh, we ended up on a $4.3 million cash payment um, for some of the amenities. We are going to undertake uh, uh, road maintenance and uh, snow melt all the way up Aspen Street. Um, we, you know, the, the housing counts are, depending on how you count them and, and, and where the, you know, what math you do. I think Bert was quoting earlier that it was a 50% uh, from, from what's going to be generated up there. I think a lot of these points could have been handled at the council table uh, before sending it to voters. Um, I, I, I didn't agree with that at all. I think that was a poor use of council's ability to send things to the voters. Um, but how do we make it better? Well, if we could go back in time or if we can move forward collaboratively, I support the Lift One Lodge development wholly. I do not support the Gorsuch House being built on uh, land that we need to change from conservation and some of the stipulations that are up there. But I long have seen that uh, there's an opportunity here for the city to partner straight in. If the, if the citizens want a lift that comes down to Dean Street, that's, if that's important to us, then the city had the opportunity to partner in. We didn't need the Gorsuch House to purchase the lands from, from the Aspen Skiing Company. The city could have partnered in with that. Now, my suggestion is that the Lift One Lodge be built and that we, what we do is we treat that Can I just ask which, which Lift area. One, the, the one that there's approvals for right now or the one that's proposed as part of this package? Well, if, if we could still, if the city could partner in and continue to work towards getting that lift to come down, then I'm all for that without having to build two hotels up there, one going up the mountain onto conservation lands. I, I think the city could have done a better job of facilitating the redevelopment of the lift one side. And I am for redevelopment of the lift one side. I have been for years. I served on many a co-op trying to get great hotel products over there. And I think that we could still do that. Is, are you in favor of the lift going down? Is that something you want? Absolutely. I would like to. And, and as, as I said, I'd put my money where my mouth is. I think that the city had the opportunity to partner in on that and achieve that goal. Kale, can you give us a background in some of your leadership experience? Uh, working in this valley has uh, given me a very good background in my leadership experience. Um, I would say that almost every single job within this community, there is a level of respect, a level of communication, and a level of management that you have to learn to be able to function within this community. Have you managed people? Um, a number of times I've managed some people, um, you know, not necessarily in a, a job role, but I definitely am a very uh, um, motivated leader in, you know, instances of, of community um, amongst my friends, amongst, you know, adventures. I am most certainly a leader. What's your what's your style? Um, I'm very open 
And that's kind of something that I have always been. I have always listened to opinions, listened to ideas, and made a tried to make the most unbiased decision or choice from those um, that I can. This is a general question for the group, whatever order we haven't gone in, Adam and Tori, Kale. What are you going to do to reach out to our Latino community? So I think there's a couple of things that we need to do and need to do better. Um, I would look, I would start with reaching out and listening to what's going on. And one of the reasons that we are in trouble of 26% and not 56% in outreach and listening or communication yeah. is usually there's a lot of smart people at City Hall and we all, there's a lot of money at City Hall and we show up with solutions way before people even understand what the problem is or what some of the options are. And so my first step would probably be to start with Valley Settlement Program uh, and some of the other nonprofits in this community that focus on our Latino and immigration populations and just try to get a lay of the land about what they're doing because we have a tremendous amount of nonprofits and they certainly know a heck of a lot more than any of us probably personally or professionally in City Hall. And that's the first step. And then we, we can try to figure out from there how they might need some help um, as opposed to just starting to talk about it up here. And mm -hmm. so the first thing I'm going to do is reach out to the people that have boots on the ground experience. Thanks, Adam. Anne. Yeah, and were you, t I'm sorry, were you talking about the, the 2020 census or just regular communication? No, it was a city survey about how well we were not No, no, I know there's a city survey. It showed a 30% drop in confidence at the, um, but I thought I heard Adam mention the census, which is, a, is going to be quite an exercise in communication across the community. But, um, so there was a 30% drop in uh, loss of confidence in senior staff in terms of communication and um, and transparency right and so this question is specifically how how can we get the latino community more involved or how how would you reach out well, to the latino community as i said i think you need to completely transform the way we're doing outreach we're doing outreach by holding open houses doing surveys uh you get a survey that's back you get 80 percent of the participants approve what you're doing and it turns out you only had 43 participants that, it doesn't count and we need to be going out into the community. As I said, one idea is uh, small neighborhood caucuses. My neighborhood actually has one. And council members to go out periodically and talk to these people. Um, go out to, to uh, neighborhood meetings, community meetings. Just the whole idea of stop asking people to come to City Hall to talk to us and find out where they're talking and go out and talk to them. Uh, there's still a lot of... Uh, other kind of tech stuff that you can do but I think the one-on-one -on -one, so two examples of what I'm doing this campaign the door-to-door -door is incredibly effective at reaching out to people and getting people to respond to you and communicate and tell you their concerns the other thing I do I send out a, a newsletter weekly about what council is doing what I'm doing on my campaign again gets a tremendous response because I'm not asking people to come ask me I'm I'm projecting out to them. So, um, yeah, basically just completely flip the way we're doing things, go out to the community rather than asking them to come to us. Did I say Tori next? 
Um, I would try to engage them every level uh, that we could. I mean, uh, uh, city notices should probably be printed in Spanish. We should probably be doing outreach programs over the radio and, and letting people know that, that there are uh, people in City Hall that would like to hear from them and hear their concerns. Um, uh, I say maybe translating everything that Ann does into Spanish might help as well. I, um, I say every method possible. You know, years ago we actually had an initiative for this, um, and I haven't actually, now that you mention it, I have not seen that followed up in the newspapers in, in recent years, so I, I don't know where that initiative went, but I'm, I'm all for engaging the Latino community in any way we can. Thank you, Tori. Kale? I feel that there needs to be a valley-wide community outreach um, providing events that are more culturally accepting and more culturally diverse than the events that we have going on throughout our valley right now. Um, you know, it'd be really tremendous to see another event happening in the summer, you know, the size of Mountain Fair, some big retail um, public venture where people are um, going to this event that is showcasing culture of the valley because we have m more culture than just the hispanic community this is a, a very very diverse community that we have valley wide so i feel that separating the hispanic community from any other diverse community within the valley is an injustice in itself we need to be inclusive of everyone and that's something that uh that's why there isn't the outreach through the Hispanic community, um, the support for government, because we have events that don't necessarily include them. Thank you. We also got this question multiple times, so we're going to um, have this be our final general question. It's for everybody, and uh, you get little closing statements, and then we'll call it a day. Child care, I think currently in Aspen, there are, this might be too much, 40, 40 open spots total. That sounds too high, actually. It's yeah. impossible to get a kid into childcare. What can we do about that? Kale, Tori, and Adam. Um, right now we're joking about we're going to be able to pay my mom's salary to watch our child uh, when we conceive a child, hoping within the next year or so. Um, and she'll probably be making, uh, you know, just as much money as she's making right now. And our child will be raised by my mother. Um, it is most certainly an insane issue that is going on right now. Just the lack of childcare. I know several people who are, you know, kind of on the same page as my wife and I, and they're trying to already, you know, year yeah. before conception, figuring out how are we going to get this child, you know, cared for. What's and the that's one of the uh, dynamics to this town. You know, it requires both uh, uh, parents to be working and mm -hmm. their child has to be in daycare and is something that's almost on the level of housing that we need to deal with. So I feel like there's there's most certainly some initiatives and some uh, innovations I the, uh the idea of turning the old art museum, that sounds like an amazing, amazing benefit to our community. Tori. You know, I, I'm, I'm disappointed this is the last question. It has not been squirmy enough in here. Um, you know, this is an important issue. This is an issue that um, falls into the category of things that have fallen by the wayside. You know, I was in here just recently a few weeks ago where uh, 
we had uh, child care advocates and and uh, Kids First Board in this room speaking with council, um, and it, it came to council's attention that uh, 18 months ago, the process for planning new child care facilities was halted by city. Um, it came as a surprise to all five council members that were sitting here. Uh, but this is just another example of, of where the, the, we're not following through. Uh, on many initiatives. Uh, we've seen this council uh, start some great ideas. And I want to keep them. you on this one specifically. Do yes. you have any solutions to childcare? Well, you know, we have a few opportunities, but, but again, the group that was halted 18 months ago was actually looking into new facilities and where we could increase our capacity and they were halted. I think this should be a priority moving forward and I will make it a priority moving forward. Um, but there's a long list of these that have fallen off the radar for this council in the last couple of years. And, and this one needs to be returned. This also feeds into what I've been saying about the, the, the city council top 10 goals and how we are focusing our energies and prioritizing. Let me let you close on, on this and we'll finish out the child care and get to our closing thank you i appreciate it um so do you want my last words on we'll, that we'll come back to you is, for that is that the child care is not in this and, and and really these are social services that need to be prioritized thank you and yeah um this is a really important issue and it's part of a much bigger issue of supporting families in town and that's you know housing transportation all these other parts so that we stop losing this middle class that we you know we are losing in town the group did come to City Council. Their proposal is to put together a needs assessment, and um, not only a needs assessment of child care in the city, but also uh, proposed ways of funding this. The city will fund this study. Uh, unfortunately, right now, the workload is a little skewed because of, we've lost some top management. Um, and it will be in the 2020 budget. I'm looking forward to seeing that study. We'll figure out how to fund it. and. Uh, whether it's an expansion of the red brick or another location, we will provide more ch child care. A physical expansion? That's one suggestion. Okay. Adam. Um, thanks. The correlation to housing is a good one. Um, you know, Katie and I have 11, 13 year olds, so they're a little bit out of the child care. Um, but a lot of our friends are, are dealing with this exact issue. Uh, we do need, as a community, to pat ourselves on the back, not a council and not a government, but as a community, because we're one of the only cities in the entire nation that even gets into subsidized child care through creating the space at the Yellow Brick, as well as the subsidization of the rates. And so there's two available places that are probably going to be looked at first. One is some type of possible physical expansion of a ground story, one story at the Yellow Brick. Maybe the basketball court ends up becoming some classroom space, and the basketball court maybe moves down to re the recycling center is currently. Um, and the other one is a, a feasibility study that's probably going to happen out at Burlingame. Um, Burlingame 3, which I'm hoping to uh, kick off, is one of my first goals as mayor is going to see 79 new units. Uh, and a lot of that will be family-focused, not 100%. But there's probably a discussion about providing some type of child care facility in time at Burlingame. There's already bus service. There's uh, infrastructure. And for those that live in Burlingame, as well as those that drive up uh, Valley, it can be a good place to stop. So I'm hoping that those are going to be the two sites that we're going to see some expansion of child care capacity. Curtis, how far off was I on that number? Do you, do you know that? How many open spots are? 26 currently. Grand total. Grand total. Grand total. Grand total. No. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No openings. No oh, there's 26 list. avails. Nothing open. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, well, we're close to the end of the evening, and as we said at the beginning, we did give everybody two minutes um, to uh, make their final pitches here. Um, I'd like to just run uh, left to right. Kale, uh, you were the last person to answer most of the questions, so we'll give you the opportunity uh, to go first in your closing remarks, and then we'll just work our way back down the table, please. Thank you for that opportunity. Um, some of the things that I would love to bring to the table of Aspen are innovation and thinking about the future, not thinking about our transportation issue as something that we're going to solve in the next five to 10 years, and maybe think about what's going to happen to the transportation industry in the next 20 to 30 years. With the innovations that we're making within our society right now, we need to start thinking not on this five to 10 year basis. We need to start thinking on a much grander scheme of things. And Aspen has the resources and the ideas that are coming forth to put forward some some changes that are not just going to change this community, but change the world at large. Thank you. Thank you. Ann? Yep. Um, so I think all the candidates are talking about very similar issues. We're probably all in agreement. We need answers to the transportation, congestion problems, the housing problems, child care, uh, safe routes to school. There's just innumerable, innumerable different issues that as I said, I think we're all in agreement on. Um, I think the bigger view is my approach uh, to being mayor would be primarily support for local families, local businesses, um, re-strengthen the community in town. That's what we're missing right now. I, I mentioned one thing about income inequality. We have a very rich, we have people that, that are struggling. We need to repopulate that, that center group. And that would be my focus. I think I, um, in terms of leadership, what I've done in my career, my, uh, my career has been connecting people with the environment, uh, coming up with solutions to very, very complex problems that uh, involve the entire community. And in the end, I've been accountable for, um, for the solutions. And that's what I see in my position as mayor, a leader in the community at the council table, a leader with the staff, bringing back a strong community to the city. Tori. Thank you. Uh, how many people in here think that we can do better? <laughs> we can do better. You know, it's time for better decision making through better communication, better representation, better leadership, and better accountability. You know, I say no more. No more to City Hall project controversies, no more $800,000 lift contracts, no more power plant flip-flopping, no more dams in our upper valleys, no more failed communication with the county, no more wasted spending on outside consultants, studies, contracts, no more trade-offs instead of solutions, no more initiatives to nowhere. We've got to choose direction. We need leadership to get there. Anne has two years left on her council term. I, I look forward to working with her as your new mayor. I, I, we share a lot of views on, on some things, but we need to I get- comment on that. We need, to get, <laughs> we need to get the ball rolling. You know, we have seen inaction and, and flip-flopping and caving for too long. 
and it's time for a change. Uh, if I'm elected, my top priorities are, and I intend to deliver on these, communication and transparency in City Hall, affordable housing for Aspenites, environmental leadership, something we need to get back to, community vitality and transportation solutions. But that's not all. You know, during this campaign, I, I've had the opportunity to speak with so many Aspenites. I know that the concerns range from everything from child care, of course, to housing, of course, but even uh, Midland Avenue and Park Avenue that have traffic and, and uh, parking problems. Uh, we hear from people that are uh, at Centennial that need help uh, repairing and doing the maintenance to keep those uh, housing units in our inventory. You know, we've got a lot of work to do, and I know that everybody has their own problems that they need help with, and that's what I'm offering. I'm offering leadership and humility at the mayor's seat. I ask for your vote in this election. Vote Tory for mayor this year. Thank you, Tory. It's time. Adam. Allison, David, thank you for hosting and grassroots as well. Um, you know, Katie and I are really humbled to be living in this town raising our kids, and I'm really humbled to be having a chance to sit up here for the last eight years in some type of leadership role trying to help steer the community towards greater good. Um, as Ann said, a lot of conversations happen around goals and the vast majority the same. So there's a little bit about priority, but I would ask that you continue to ask all of us that have served up here, either currently or in prior years, if what specific things have been enacted by one of us to see things done. It's one thing to talk about goals. It's another thing to actually implement them. And I have a proven track record of implementing goals, my goals, the community's goals, other people's goals that I just want to see get done. Focused on a lot of stuff about housing, a thoughtful and balanced down zoning of 2016 that had a collaborative process with my council so I knew when I was going to come in here and ask for a moratorium via emergency ordinance. I, was going to, I had those votes and we had them for a couple months and I was in touch with the community. I think as far as outreach, one of the ways that I think I've been successful is outreach is not just from reading memos and listening to public comment, but as far as being out there with Quintessa Sports, Felix's Theater, Hiking the Bowl, as I mentioned in my op-ed today, which I invite you to read in the Aspen Daily News and the Aspen Times, takes me a little bit longer than most to go shopping at Clark's Market um, and some other activities, but I really feel like I have a good pulse of this community. And I continue to ask about how does Aspen remain authentic in a less authentic world? And I, I talk about not the solutions, but some of my vision. And as a leader of Aspen, the first thing we need to do Ten seconds. is make sure that we uh, bring in some senior leadership to change some of the cultural communication and some of the cultural outreach at City Hall, and then that we can inspire our staff and inspire this community. Thank you very much for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, all the candidates, for being here tonight uh, with Squirm Night. Everybody can give them a little round of applause. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, voters, uh, please know that uh, ballots will be in the mail next week. Election day is March 5th. If there is a runoff, it'll be the first Tuesday in April. And finally, if you want to look back on any of the Squirm Night, it will be re-aired on channels 12 and 880 between now and the election. And you can also find the video on grassrootstv.com. I'm David Krause with the Aspen Times with Allison Bektesh of the Aspen Public Radio. Thank you, uh, everyone, for coming out tonight. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, guys. Well done.